Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Parenting Aces radio show presented by TennisBalls.com. On Blog Talk Radio's You Are Tennis Network, I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we've got with us today Coach Bill Patton. And Bill has been a guest on this show a couple of times in the past. And for those of you who have listened to our previous conversations, we've got some new topics to discuss today, and I'm looking very forward to having Bill on. I want to just say a quick thank you again to the new sponsor of the Parenting Aces radio show, tennisballs.com. I encourage all of you, if you haven't already, to sign up to receive their email updates. They send out newsletters two or three times a week. It's not too overwhelming. But also check out their website, tennisballs.com, for all the latest happenings around the world, mainly dealing with the professional side of tennis, but they also, every now and then, will cover some junior and collegiate stuff. And, you know, I write for them every now and then too. So if you see something written by me, you can pretty much assume it's going to either cover junior or college tennis, or sometimes I'll write about my own tennis exploits for them. So um, maybe a little women's league kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, be sure and visit our sponsor, tennisballs.com. We love to give them the support and appreciate them so very much. And I want to just give you a little background on Bill Patton, today's guest. Um, Bill is a coach in the Northern California area, and I, I love, he sent me a little bio, and I kind of just want to read it because it's really funny, so I'm going to just read it. And here's what Bill has to say about himself. Bill has always colored outside the lines. He used to take his toys apart to see how they worked. He turned those experiences into a strength. Now he creates innovative templates so that others can build on success and make it their own. He is most proud of winning an NCS championship and becoming a published author for the first time. Once, when trying to speak another language to a player, he thought he was asking if she was embarrassed, but he used the word for pregnant. That got sorted out later. Bill and his business partner, Sterling Struther, who has also been a guest on this show, have started USA Tennis Coach LLC, which trains, certifies, mentors, and collaborates with high school tennis coaches. Bill is a USPTA elite, PTR, and MTM professional, and has, uh, and has his courses featured on CoachTube.com. So we are very, very lucky to have Bill with us today, and let me get him on the air. Bill, are you there? I am here. How are you, Lisa? I am fantastic. I have gotten my workout in. I'm uh, watching some Australian Open replays that I missed while I actually slept last night, (laughs) and it's a good day so far. Okay, so you're watching that now? Well, it's on in the background. So, okay, all right. you know. No, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. No, yes, no just sound, just fun. visuals. Nice. I have to so say, so they're, they're, airing, they're airing, sorry, they're airing the Rafa match again right now. So those of you who have been following me for a while know that I'm a big fan of Rafa Nadal. So, um, Bill, I promise to stay focused on our conversation, though. Okay, thank you. I know it will be hard, so all right. <laughs> so you've got a whole bunch of irons in the fire these days, and you and I stay in pretty close contact, mostly via social media stuff. Um, you post a lot, and I comment on that, and I post a lot, and you comment on my stuff. And so um, I would love for you to just kind of share what's going on, and maybe we can – kind of start because you have been working with Sterling and, and y'all are really working on kind of establishing yourselves as an online presence in the tennis coaching arena. And I would love for you to talk about what online tennis instruction looks like, maybe you know some general points about it, um, how people can gauge whether an online course is worth the money, worth the time, effective, yada, yada. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, well, the first thing is there are 
their attitudes about online instruction. And so people have kind of a preconceived notion of what's there, what's good. Um, and, and they also have preconceived notions about what they want to see, and it might not be what they need to see. So people are uh, going for dessert um, because life is short. And um, so really people need to eat a little more of their meat and vegetables. Um, so let's take it from first let's take it from a coach's perspective because because I see a range of um, of acceptance of of online instruction from panning it all together ninety five percent of it is garbage um, I don't encourage my players to look at that at all and that's that's completely on one end of the spectrum and then you have those that make the stuff you know and so. And in the middle, you have people who say, okay, there's some value there, but yeah, it's not really worth my time to discuss it with my students. Um, and, and, you know, a, a full range of things in between that. Uh, I think the message Sterling and I want to get to get across is that, is that as coaches, when our players are bringing to us um, this, this online instruction that they're looking at, we want to affirm that. Uh, the first message is, wow, you went out of your way to gain some extra in information. That's terrific. You know, instead of feeling offended or, um, you know, offended or, or like that's competition in the, in the marketplace of ideas and we're not sure if we can compete. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I have a, I have a student who comes to me and he sends me clips on, uh, of these YouTube videos uh, in my email, and he says, "What do you think of this?" And you know, I'm honored by that. You know, at first I was like, "Well, do, do I really want to spend four minutes watching this?" And then I realized that if I took the time to look at it, that in our next lesson he and I could talk about it, we could experiment with it. Um, I could help him discover if it was really a valuable lesson or not, if it applied to him or not, and you know, really at the core of it, it's all about athlete-centered coaching. And that's, that's a phrase that we're going to use a lot, we want to promote a lot, because, because you know, athlete-centered coaching affirms the, uh, you know, when the, when the player goes out of their way and is proactively gaining their own education, they're, be, they're becoming more of a decision-maker about how they want to play. So... You know, there have been some videos that I, I don't think I told my students this, but, you know, I was like, wow, you know, I, I learned a lot about how to teach tennis in that video. So, but I don't divulge that directly to him. And, um, you know, then there's some stuff where I'm like, you know, no, not really. This, isn't, this doesn't look so great because, you know, for you it doesn't fit because this it doesn't fit your style or, you know, there's an injury risk. Um, and so, so at the end of the day, what happens is by, by being open to online instruction and, and looking at it, then as coaches we only gain greater credibility with our students, a stronger relationship, more trust, um, and, and then as we model the idea that we are also learning along with them, then we then we are better examples. So, so that's kind of the overview of the whole thing. Um, you know, in in the range of if we go to the range of what's available, um, it's really interesting. Both Sterling and I have have posted a lot of videos on YouTube, which we've since pulled. I pulled a lot of mine because I created a course called The Art of Coaching High School Tennis, and I found a very interesting thing that I was going through a very sequential process of kind of taking a coach, you know, A to Z, you know, start here and go one, two, three, four, five to 15 different videos. And the really important ones about building your coaching philosophy and, and setting goals and and how to work with players and how to teach. Nobody was watching that. But what were they wow. tuning into? Yeah, so they what do they do? They go for dessert. They go for footwork drills and and technique and um and you know other other group drills for players on court. 
And and I'm thinking, wow, that's really interesting because what they want is they want to build a house without any foundation. Mm. You know, right? No. Well, so let me let me just ask you. I'm going to interrupt you a minute and ask you, Bill. Um, because there is such a proliferation of information available online now for tennis coaches and tennis players, how do you suggest that coaches and players and parents kind of sort the you know the wheat from the chaff i mean there's there's a lot of garbage out there you have to admit there's also a lot of gems out there absolutely and so see this is where this is where when you have uh, a coach who you're working with then then really as part of the player-parent-coach relationship, then all of that gets negotiated. Um, you know, the analogy that Sterling and I came up with yesterday, it would be like, even, whether or not, even if you have all good sources and, and you have like five or three or four or five different sources that you go to, it's like opening up three different puzzles. And so you have, you know, you have your 1,000-piece puzzle over here, and you have a 650-piece puzzle there, and a 100-piece puzzle, and you just mix all the puzzle pieces together, and now you're going to make one puzzle out of all these things. So, you, you know, you pick one up, and you go, wait, this doesn't really fit with that. So, so the training of a tennis player is really such a cohesive art that, you know, it would be like, okay, I would be like taking um, Michelangelo and he's halfway done with the Sistine Chapel and go, hey, we're pulling you and we're going to let somebody else finish it up. Um, so, so you know, there's, you know, when you have a coach that you're working with, then I think you run it through the filter of them and look them and let the player, all the player's voice ought to be um, very strong. In, in selecting, you know, some of these sources and, and deciding how they want to play um, because ultimately they have to own the Do you suggest that coaches maybe build up a repertoire or a library of online instruction that maybe they suggest to players and parents as a supplement to what uh, the coach is actually doing on and off the court with that player? That's that's genius. Um, no, that's really a terrific idea. And um, you know, think of all the time savings too, because then you can direct your your student to that, and they watch that off court, and then you can come back, and they've had time to process it. So much of the education of a tennis player and anyone, any any educational pursuit, deals with processing. You know, they say that um, kids learn. What they what they got in first period, they learn it in second period, and what they got in second period, they learn it in third period because they've had a chance to mm-hmm. think it through. Um, so you know, and so we're modeling the same thing now. What we're doing is we're trying to be um, we're trying to be a lot more effective than just you know having a lesson on you know the umpteenth lesson on how to hit a forehand like Roger Federer or how to hit the power forehand. I just saw something the other day. The ultimate power forehand. I'm like, okay, well, that's great, but in what context? When are you going to hit that shot? So, for instance, you know, we've got, um, you know, I I did a course on on how to get your players to the net. And so that's that's almost a 50-minute course on taking players, you know, up, progressing and possibly regressing so that you can build up their confidence so that they can become effective net players. And then we also talk about what are some of the potential issues, a whole menu of issues that players may encounter as they're trying to become effective net players. Um, so it's a template. And so people can you know, take from that and they can use It's very scalable. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the magic things. If, it, if what you're doing is scalable, then it's very usable for coaches and players, um, and they can begin to understand because you know there's also uh, and it also so so we're not doing what everybody else is doing. Um, 
Another course that we've developed recently was um, how to discover, help a player discover their ideal two-handed backhand style. Um, because, you know, within the USTA parameters, there are four distinct styles that are within the parameters. But my question to coaches is, here's your quiz, coaches that are listening, parents that are listening, players, how many styles does your coach teach? Um, a large percentage of, of what, are, what is taught as a two-handed backhand is, all right, here, hit it like it's a left-handed forehand. Um, in my experimentation over two and a half years, I found that that applies to about 25 to maybe 30% of the players out there. But the other three styles are, are about equally represented. Um, one style is actually fairly rare, and that's the one that resembles uh, the old Bjorn Borg style. But there's still people that hit that right-hand dominant uh, two and a backhand. So, so then we, we present these things. We talk about, oh, you know, uh, we talk about Craig O'Shaughnessy's uh, data that he shared from the IBM thing about about 63% of points were won when players attacked the net to the other player's backhand on all points combined at the 2015 U.S. Open. And, and coaches, frankly, think that we must be on drugs when we say that. But it's purely factual information. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, facing, we're facing this thing where a coach teaches one style and because that's the style they know or that's the style they prefer. So what happens to those kids if that, that doesn't fit who they are with the, and their skills? It doesn't fit their spin preference. It doesn't fit how ambidextrous they are. It doesn't, fit, it doesn't, it doesn't flow which is their dominant hip to come through. So... You know, we're, that's what, it comes back again to athlete-centered coaching. So everything that we do is about being athlete-centered. Well, and that's you bring up a really interesting point because in a situation like the one you just described where the, the stroke taught doesn't fit the athlete, either the athlete's going to stagnate in their development or they're going to become really frustrated, I should say, and or they're going to become really frustrated and give up on the game, or they're going to figure out that they're not moving forward and change coaches. So in any of those three scenarios, the coach loses out, right? Um, so it's in the coach's best interest to have an arsenal of ways to teach, strokes to teach, styles to teach, I mean, it, it goes back to that whole thing of, you know, working with visual learners versus auditory learners versus kinesthetic learners. I mean, you have to be able to teach all of these different types of students. Yes. Don't get me started on brain modalities, but in, in a nutshell, the whole learning styles thing um, made – made uh, Howard, what's his name, he's from Harvard, and he came up with the multiple intelligences theory. And he got mad when it was, he thought it was dumbed down into learning styles, but that's a, that's a subject for another day. Um, right. so, so people have different modalities that they're comfortable with. And so, yes, you need to be able to address people from their strengths, but you also need to build up their weakness. And you nailed it. And, you know, it's really about the player. And one thing that's very gratifying is that people who've taken the course and then begun to apply it, um, they find that their players are in joy, you know, that they have made a discovery. And if really see the player discovers their style. I don't, I don't force a player into a style. I, we just go through this process of going, okay, here, try it in a few left-handed forehands. Try it in a one-handed backhand. Let's see what happens. Okay, now, I think maybe this will be your style. Let's try it out. Okay, it looks pretty good. What do you think? You know, let's try the next style. Do you like that one better than this one? Do you like the third one better than the first two? Do you like the final one better? You know, and then every once in a while you get this mm -hmm. shot. In the course, one thing that was awesome is that every kid, we were meeting kids for the first time and giving them their first ever lesson with us and each kid of the four 
represented each of the four different styles, and each one hit that magical crushed shot. And it was just, it was a jaw dropper. So, you know, that's a lot of fun. And so I, I think I think coaches, you know, that, that want to take that course, I think it's really going to benefit you and your students and, and um, you know, you know the the joy that you will see in your players it will be palpable. You know, so I'm I'm really really happy about that. Um, well, let's talk course- let's talk a little bit more about your online courses, Bill. They're geared toward coaches, but players could also benefit from them. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And what you'll see, what you see here's the, and here's the other tricky thing that happens. Okay, so. Typically, what you get is a coach with a highly trained player and possibly someone that they've worked with for years and years and years who knows the drill, right, showing you how to do it. Well, okay, that's beautiful. But you have years and years and years, you know. So so when we do stuff, we're, we're doing the high wire with no net. All the lessons are with people we have never taught before. And that's exciting. I mean, it's thrilling. It was like really puts you under pressure. So, so what you see is us meeting people for the first time, teaching them how to do this stuff, and and you see the magic. The other thing you see is people you can relate to. They're not perfect. You know, people will look at some of these courses and they will have ticky-tack criticisms about some of the fundamentals. And... If that and that's how their mind goes, and that's fine. But we already account for that. We're saying, hey, look at these styles. We're teaching styles. We're not teaching, you know, perfect stances and perfect grips and all that. We, you know, we're just introducing the styles, and we would go about fine tuning those things, you know, if we were going to continue to work with those people over the period of time, just like you would. So, right. and players and parents, you know, looking at that may even want to share that with their coach and say, hey, you know, we have some, you know, just like my students do with me. My students share videos with me, and I learn from it, and, and we include those ideas. So ultimately, I mean, the best thing to be is someone who models lifelong learning. That's really, it's really amazing the effect that that has on your students and your parents when you show that you're, you're not necessarily the guy with all the answers. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, so one of you talked about your two-handed backhand style course, and you alluded to the get to the net course. Another one that you have, and um, it's you know one that's near and dear to my heart is play college tennis. And given that we're in the first week of the spring twenty-seven college tennis season, let's let's talk a little bit more in depth about that course, and then we'll get back to the other two. Well, yeah, and this is where, you know, me speaking to you, the listener, who's possibly, you know, going to be a college player or maybe hasn't thought that you could be, um, if if me speaking to you right now gets you to go play college tennis, then mission accomplished. That's what it's all about. Um, so the first thing about the course is that it's about four-star players and below. Because five-star players, you know, have you know have twenty, twenty, um, you know, letters in their in their email, and you know, in their in their coming in their mailbox. So it's those four-star kids and below, and even three, two, one. You can play college tennis. I mean, you could play junior college tennis, NAIA, Division three, two, right, and maybe even a lower Absolutely. Division one school. You know, um, so yeah, for sure. Part of, one of the big problems, two, two of the really interesting things, um, and this has been a frustration for me because I've coached a lot of players who could have played college tennis, but they either had a Division One or bust mentality or they were so focused on a particular academic school that would be their be-all, end-all if they got into that particular school that everybody's heard of and then you know, then everyone will bow down to them because they made it. Uh, 
you know, those those two things, and then, but they have no real chance of really playing at that school because that school is, you know, one of the top, you know, Division One schools in the nation, so they just don't really have a chance. But what, what they don't realize, um, and this is one thing that's not in the course yet. I'm actually going to add this shortly. So I'm going to give you some fresh material. One thing I advise players to do if they are a four-star player below is you can go into your high school counselor, and they have software that can sort schools based on major and also based on what level in athletics they play. Um, the other thing you can do is you can go to the NCAA website and look at Division Two, Three, um, and then go to the NAIA website and look at look at their results. And you can you can find a list of the schools that made the NCAA championships because wouldn't that be awesome to be competing for a national championship? And what will you find? You know, you'll find Rollins. You know, you'll find. MIT, you'll find Claremont Mud Scripts. You know, you'll find some of the, you know, Claremont, uh, you know, you, you'll find some of the really the finest academic institutions that you could ever imagine playing at Division Two and Three. So, so if you're gonna, if you really want to focus on high-level academics, then playing Division Three tennis would be awesome because then. That, at that level, they really allow for that. They really want their student athlete. Um, so they're going to show you some flexibility. Uh, the other thing is, um, you know, the course that I did was with Dave Borelli, who's just a fantastic guy, and he's a seven-time national championship coach. Um, he coached at uh, USC and TCU, and in 25 years he won 18 national we have seven national championships, 18 conference championships. So um, the course is presented like a backyard talk or a talk in the clubhouse at the club. And so it's just me and Dave, and we're just talking about how the kids can engage with coaches and, and get to know them and develop a relationship. And also look for the red flags because um, – you know, there's some problems that come, too. I mean, we had a, a local gal here who ended up going to a university in the Midwest, and she was really excited to get a full ride, and and then it turns out, and then she got hurt. And it turns out that pretty much every kid on that team was hurt. So, you know, you have to be, you have to know about that program. You have to know who's that coach, what's their program like. You know, do kids transfer away from that program? So, you know, there's some homework to be done. And we get into how to do that um, in the course. But, you know, even if you just started, even if you're a player out there and you start with going and looking at the schools that, that have made the NCAA championships in the previous year, then you're going to have a fine list. For sure. For sure. It's funny um, that you mentioned that because – um, for those who don't know, I've been doing a series of Q&A articles for the Intercollegiate Tennis Association's website, the ITA website, and it's itatennis.com. And I'm, I'm interviewing over the course of, of this series coaches from a variety of schools, from you know top level, like you say, D1 schools, to I just did a Q&A with an NAIA coach who has won three men's national championships, two women's national championships at his NAIA school, and his team can compete with any top program in any division around the country. I mean, they are that good. And so I think a lot of times, you know, we put those blinders on to anything outside top-level D1 when, in fact, there are some phenomenal programs out there in the various divisions. Yeah. And I, I had a young guy that I worked with that um, went to a school in Iowa, and, and he became a Hall of Famer at his school because he had a 500 record in tennis because that school – had been kind of the doormat of that league for many years. So he comes in, he's the star player, and he wins more whack matches than anybody's won in 25 years, has a lot of fun doing it. 
and becomes the member of an athletic hall of fame. You know, you can't championships stay with you. And uh, a championship is something that you can draw on at a, at a time, at a tough time in your life. When you can reflect back on being a part of something like that. It's, it, I know that, that um, you know, players that I've had think back on those championship seasons that we've had or, you know, times people rose to the occasion. And, and it's, um, it's a life skill. That's, that's where the life skills come in. That's where the athlete-centered coaching is about the education of, of discovering what's best for you and your path and not being a lemming and just following what you think everybody else will be impressed by. Mm-hmm. So your online course really focuses around kind of thinking beyond power conference schools and, well, you know, considering. Okay. Not necessarily. Because uh, Dave, Dave shares a story about a player who had gone to a certain school, and they were, they were maybe in the top five or so, you know, something like that, very near the top. And she was number seven on that team. And, and she was not on the court much because the top six were just a lock. So, so um, you know, any, she didn't really get much court time. You really need to play. See, that's the thing. People have these dreamy notions that – that they're going to be the number eight player on that team and that somehow practicing with these top players is going to make them better. But you need to play matches, so if you're not on the lineup, then that won't happen. It just won't happen. And the coach will always be recruiting higher than you. So when, when are you going to get your chance? I, it's, you know, it, it, it'll be you know, a Rudy story, you know, and, you know, so let's not be so dreamy. So anyway, the story, though, goes that uh, this number seven player transferred to another school and became the top player and became a team captain. And um, actually, I believe, well, I don't want to say this wrong, but they did, you know, they had surprisingly good success, and this player became a team captain and was so much more involved and important to that team. So that's a that's a night and day experience than being number seven and just being a practice partner. Sure, and Eric Buderak talks very openly about his college tennis experience and going from, you know, a power school to a little known school and being a standout there, and all of a sudden realizing that he had the ability to play professionally and has just come off a phenomenal career as a professional tennis player. Yeah, he's an outstanding doubles player for sure. And um, so now, oh, I, I wonder, with your permission, may I link your articles into our course so that people can have another resource? Of course. I'm always happy for anyone to share my articles. Yeah. No, I mean, because, that, see, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. We really want to collaborate with people. And, you know, I, I'm not the, the be-all, end-all, you know, it's and Dave's not, um, you know, also, there are some other coaches that are contributing to what will become a book on the subject. So that's still in the process. Um, you know, I got that the, the, the online course going quickly, uh, but the book is, is probably you know coming around in in another incarnation later this year. Fantastic. So anything else you want to share specifically about the courses that you have online now? Um, just to kind of recap on that, I mean, really, it's about doing things that other people aren't doing. Um, we don't. I don't want to go. I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of of doing the same old thing. Um, you, you ever heard the thing about how they asked John Lennon when he was a child what he wanted to do when he grew up, what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he said happy. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, you want to be happy. And and so I was reflecting on that. I don't know why I was reflecting on that ahead of this. And and so I think what I always wanted to be was different. So so we're doing we're doing it differently. Um so you know, I think I think that'll be refreshing for people. I hope that will be. That we're not just gonna give you another forehand lesson and you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna, you know that we can take some some pro tour 
stuff and apply it to use a three five lady. I mean, some of some of the stuff that's out there that's that's from pros that's supposed to translate to club players. I'm not buying it. Um, you know, it's like okay, yeah, you know, we have you know the greatest doubles team of all time that I won't name. You know, showing the three five ladies how they can always crush their volley. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if that's gonna happen. It's so, fun to try, I gotta say. It is fun to try. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and see, the two words that resonate with us the most, and we really want to put out, are that our stuff. We really we put it to the test of is it valid and relevant. Um, is it val? Is it valid? Is it is it really true for the players who are going to use it, and does it apply to what they want to do? So mm-hmm. if it doesn't pass that test, we're not going to do it. So that's uh, that's kind of my summary on that, is that we strive for valid and relevant. And where can folks find your online courses? Those are on CoachTube right now. And, um, you know, it's, it's really exciting to be on the same channel as, you know, Urban Meyer and Pat Summit and – and some of the great, great coaches in different in different sports. So um, we chose that one because the general sports um, outlet, and that way we're also going to reach some high school coaches that maybe are two sport coaches. You know, maybe they're a football coach and a tennis coach, or they, you know, or they, you know, they they coach another sport and they also coach tennis at their school, maybe because they have to. So, so we're going to reach some of those people as well, and we're excited about that. That's great. Okay, so CoachTube.com, and then tell me what do people search for once they get on there. How yeah. do they find your specific stuff? Yeah, just put tennis, or you can you can put Bill Patton, and um, okay, and that'll pop up. Awesome. Surely we'll have some on there soon. So we're we're working okay. on that. A lot of content we still great. have to edit. Okay, fantastic. So let's move on and and let you update us on what's going on with USA Tennis Coach. You and Sterling were on the show a while back talking about your goals for USA Tennis Coach, and I suspect a lot of those goals have been attained and some are still works in progress and others have probably been tweaked a bit. So let us know what's going on. Yeah, you know the, the fun part? We haven't tweaked anything. Um, we we just did our um, 2016 evaluation, and uh, we gave ourselves some pretty good scores. So, um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny because yeah, we we were talking about okay, we have to evaluate what's happened, and you know, you when whenever the word evaluate comes up, you know, I kind of get the jitters a little bit because I don't like to I don't like to evaluate, I don't like to be evaluated, but. Um, we looked at our top six objectives for 2016, and we achieved them to satisfactory levels, you know, or or even better. Um, one one of the things that we're most proud of is um, is that um, we're available. Uh, in the last 20 days or so, we've been on the phone with 20 different coaches uh, for for good 20 minute phone calls. So. Any coach that wants to call us and get some advice on team coaching or, you know, strategy or, you know, uh, following up on one of our, e- our online courses um, can do that. Uh, so that's another element from the online courses that's different than other ones is that we make ourselves available to you because we know that, you know, everybody's situation is different, and if you want to figure out how you can personalize it to your own uses, then get on the phone. You know, it's on an appointment basis. I mean, we don't always have 20 minutes right now, but, um, you know, if we're picking up the phone, then we must be able to talk. So, uh, you know, get in touch with us, send us an email, and and we'll talk to you for 20 minutes. You know, um, I had a, a fun experience where Last week, someone called me ahead of their interview for one of the highest-profile high school coaching jobs in the country, and they they wanted my advice. And I'm like, well, I should be taking your advice, but um, I'm glad you like my book. But 
you know, so so there's kind of surprising things that way. I mean, it, it's nice to know that people value the information. Um, um, so so we're available. That's the number one thing. The other thing is that we're really going hard and heavy towards a mentoring approach, and that's something that's been from the beginning. Um, part of the disconnect in education of tennis coaches is that we're we're teaching it like it's high school. And, you know, I didn't really like high school myself. It kind of felt like prison. And um, so, you know, the old-time way of educating people and is was that, you know, a master craftsman would visit one-on-one -on -one with an apprentice or maybe, you know, have a small cadre of three to five people that they were working with, you know, or, you know, 12, maybe you had Jesus and the disciples, you know, but he had his inner three. And so you have these, you have, that was the way of teaching, was, was a master and, and, and a few. And it was very, mm -hmm. you know, personalized instruction. And I think we've lost that because that used to be the way. Um, in talking to some of the greatest coaches in the world, like Bob Brett, you know, and Frank Giampolo, and, you know, others like that, they apprenticed under master coaches. You know, Frank just showed up at Vic Braden Tennis College one day and and said, put me to work, you know. And, you know, Bob Brett was under Harry Hoffman, and Harry said, okay, you have to go watch that guy for X number of times, then you have to go watch that guy for a little bit of time, then you're going to coach, and I'm going to watch you. Um, and, you know, Bob Brett is one of the greatest ever. So, well, so we, yeah, I'm a big believer in mentoring and, uh, and apprenticing. So um, I, I'm right there with yeah. you. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're all about. It's, it, and then also it's personal. Um, so, you know, the, the large, the number one way that team coaches are taught is, okay, everybody get into this conference room. The speaker's going to talk for 50 to 50 minutes to two hours. Take notes. There will be five minutes of Q&A, which, of course, will, you know, cover all your in-depth questions, you know, in the greatest depth. Uh, you know, maybe you get to talk to the guy for a minute afterwards if you corner him. Uh, but, but there isn't a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction there. So, I mean, it works, it works, but is it highly effective? You know, and then, you know, when it comes to cert certain times, you know, you get, you know, one of the greatest all-time Division One college coaches teaching high school coaches. Well, high school coaches didn't recruit their players, you know. High school coaches have a lot of beginners who are going to come pick up a racket for the first time. I mean, there's, there's kind of a disconnect. We think that, you know, the greatness is going to rub off, but it, it's – well, sometimes it's a square like in a round hole. Um, yeah, and, for sure. You know, you have people who never coached really any team tennis at all, and, you know, they're going to focus mainly on strokes and high-performance players. Um, you know, the, we find that the, the focus is so much on the 1%. You know, the kids, they're going to play D1, and, and, and the kids, and, you know, in high-performance tennis. But... Uh, it's not often on, okay, you know, day one of practice, you know, you put a racket in a kid's hand for the first time, and two weeks later that kid's going to be playing a live match. Right. How do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, and, it's a know, little bit different so, situation. Yeah, and in my book, The Art of Coaching High School Tennis, I have a chapter on that, how to get a kid to, you know, hold the, you know, hold the racket for the first time and in two weeks prepare them to play their first ever match. So, you know, that's, that's the crux of it. And then those, those kids, those are the ones that are going to become, you know, hopefully the 4-0, even 5-0 level players you know, as they after they graduate, and you know, you know, Vic Braden said famously, "If there are no four or fives at your club, it's your fault." So, hmm. you know, if we're not if we're not taking a kid who's a beginner, you know, and in four years turning them at least into a three five, 
I don't think we're really doing a great job. Well, and that that's a nice segue, Bill, because we're coming down to our last 15 minutes here. That's a nice segue into this whole idea of athlete-centered coaching and, you know, meeting players where they are and taking them through the progression but beginning wherever they happen to be that time they step foot on your court for the first time. Yes. Okay, this is going to be fun. All right. So I'm I'm in a space right now where I don't really I don't need private lesson clientele so much. It's not really where my life is focused right now. So so I'm empowered to do what I do. I don't know if this will work for everyone, but I probably get fired in 50 to 75% of my first lessons. Um, because I'm qualifying that student, I'm qualifying this family uh, on whether we're going to be able to work together. Because if all three of us are athlete-centered, then we've got something. But here's, the, you know, there's a, there's a range here too. You know, you get, um, you get the parents who really believe in the coach and they really believe in their kid. And so, so they drop the kid off. They might watch the lesson. They might go shopping. They trust that something good's going to happen there. They're, you know, they're paying that coach, so they trust him to do his job. And um, those people. And then you have the parents who are a little fearful and sort of worried, and they're not really sure about their kid, and they're not really sure about the coach, and they're not really sure if they're wasting their money. So they're going to keep a close eye on it. You know, and then even with a little reassurance and a little relationship building, they're going to be okay. You know, it just takes a little time, just a little education. And then you get those parents that are running the show, and, uh, and they're in control. They control their kid. They're a consumer of the coach. They're ready to fire the coach at any time. And they may just be there just to pick the coach's brain for a little bit because they plan to steal the information and use it themselves. So so you get this range. You know, there's different shades in between all that. Uh, so here's what I do in my first lesson. Kid comes out on the court. I just did this Saturday. I have a new client, and, and I love his family already. Um, and so, you know, we get a couple of balls, and we're kind of checking things out and getting, getting, making sure that the kid's relaxed on the court and that we have some rapport. And then I asked them this, all right, kid, there are three different kinds of people. There are players, parents, and coaches. Who's the decision maker? And a lot you of times... The, you ask the kid that. I asked the kid that. Who's the decision maker? Okay. And okay. at least 90% of the time, the kid will say, you? No. And tell them you're questioning. They have no idea. They have no idea. They've never, no one's ever asked them this before. It's universal that no one's ever asked them. And it's 90% of the time, they don't know the answer. And so they say, it's me. And I say, no. My parents, no. And then they sort of get this look of wonder on their face. Because by process of elimination, they discovered that it's them. You know, then, then we say, all right, okay, so you're the decision maker. All right, you, decision maker, who is your expert consultant? And they go, you. And I'm like, okay, good, that was quick. It was really fast. Thank you. <laughs> the kid knows. The kid knows. Always. The coach, you know, that has never not happened. The kid always says it's the coach. So then the funny part is we get to the final question, who gives final approval? And sometimes the kid says, me. And sometimes the kid says, you, and I'm like, no, no. And they go, oh, it's my parents. Yes, it's your parents, you know, because if they don't like what's happening between me and you, it's over. Now, but here's the funny part. We go to the fence at the end of the lesson, and this is when I'm about to be fired. I go to the parent, and I say, oh, buddy, you might have noticed that we were having a conversation there, and we decided that your kid is the is the um, decision maker. And a lot of parents say, well, yeah, of course. And those are the great, great parents. And the parents go, are you sure? And those are the ones that just need a little education on athletes and their coaching. And then the ones that immediately go to stony face, then pretty, 
pretty high likelihood we're not coming back. So, so then I asked, and I said, and then we decide, and then your decision maker decided that I'm the expert consultant. And some parents say, of course, that's why we're paying you. And some parents go, did our kid make an okay decision? And time will tell. And then, and then when the stony face, you know, goes to solid granite, then then I'm already saying goodbye. So, you know, that's, that's my introduction to athlete-centered coaching because here's the interesting thing. It's, that kid is going to have to hit the shot on break point at 4-5 in the third set. I'm not hitting it. You're not hitting it. They have to own their game. And that's what that two-handed backhand thing is about too because if that, if that player owns that shot because they're comfortable with it because it fits who they are and how they want to play, they will hit it under pressure. And, and if it's been introduced to them from the outside, like somebody drilled a hole in their head and there was a funnel and the information was inserted, they're not owning it. They will. There's a very small chance that they'll own it unless maybe there's just a really strong buy-in between that family and that kid and that coach. I mean, it can happen. I don't want to say it can't happen. But I'm just saying that an athlete-centered approach starts with the kid as the decision-maker. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the kid runs everything. So I'll give you a counterexample. Um, I have a young lady I'm coaching, and she's a freshman, and she got to play number three on her high school team. And you know, she's a solid kid, smart, smart kid, not overly powerful. Um, had a little chat with her high school coach, and you know, it was good. We have good relationships. So that's nice. So he told me his thoughts, you know, and then. Mom told me her thoughts, which I pretty much instantly um, rejected. And, um, you know, dad, dad understands. Mom doesn't really get it, you know. So, okay, fine. So, um, but I had to go to this kid, and I, and I said, hey, look, you know, I was talking to your coach, and, you know, I know that your preferred way of doing things is that we do, you know, mostly everything as, as a point play situation. So I know that's your preferred way. But as your expert consultant, I want to say that we have to develop more power in your game. Because for you to be able to compete with those one and two players and for you to become the number one player on this team like you want to be, you're going to have to do that. So what do you want to do? do can we go through a month of working on technique? Um, and she agreed. You know, and if it was going to be a fight, she was going to win that fight. You know, and I would let her and her parents would allow me to let her fail in the short term. Because who's learning is it? It's not my learning, it's her learning. But, you know, I'm here to tell her what I see, and it's up to her to make a choice, and then we go the direction she wants to go. And sometimes there's really incredible wisdom in what the player will choose for themselves. For sure. And I, oh. I mean, but I'm listening to this, Bill, and I, I have to ask you, where does the high school coach come into that conversation? Because if she's agreed that, yes, I'm willing to do the work necessary to get to that next level, but that may mean I'm not winning matches in the meantime, does the high school coach have any input in that? Well, or are you, know, you talking about I, doing this outside the season? This is outside the season. Yeah, Got it. This okay. Is, this, I'm, I'm a private coach. She'll go back to her team in the fall. Um, Got you know, it. The coach has stuff that he – so, so, you know, it's – and so it is indicative also of a relationship with a high school coach. If there is none, you know, then, then you know, it's, and so, you know, that's another interesting topic, which is – which has occurred to me was that – is that athlete-centered coaches will collaborate with other coaches because mm-hmm. if they really care about that kid, about the at the outcomes of that kid, then they will put aside their pride for a little bit, even you know, to try to work with somebody um, 
to collaborate for the betterment of that kid. So, um, well, let me you know, ask I, you I, this. It, let me ask you this, Bill. Is the term athlete-centered coaching, is that a term that's, you know, widely used in the coaching community? Because it seems to me that that would be something for a family to look at when they're searching for a coach for their kid, you know, and a question to ask. Or are there ways, subtle ways maybe, to discern if a coach is athlete-centered or not? And and keep in mind that we're down to our last four minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of the answer was in the question. So so you made that pretty easy for me. Um, absolutely. I, I posted something on Facebook that got a lot of tra- traction the other day. Um, and I tried to be as iconoclastic as possible because that's my way. And I said, a coach would have to be insane to think that their players could be could have poor character um, and cheat and hurt others, and for that coach to think that they're athlete centered, the coach would have to be insane. So, um, so you know, I think you can ask coaches questions about this and see their answer and see if their beady little eyes go left and right when they answer. Um, and you know, and, and say, hey, when you know, if ask little hypotheticals, you know, if this happened, what would you do? You know, or tell a past experience of a time that the player, you know, was with a coach that wasn't very athlete centered, and see how they react to that. Um, I get that a lot. I get quite a few parents who tell me want to tell me their horror story of having worked with other coaches. And, you know, I try not to take advantage of the situation to try to slam them and praise myself, but I do want to acknowledge the pain that those parents and kids feel from that. So um, offhand, I mean, you know, I think think use the phrase, what does athlete-centered coaching look like to you? Open-ended question. And if they have a ready answer, then I think you know that they're that they're pretty um, pretty authentic. But if they're like, mm-hmm. wait, what? <laughs> Who? <laughs> what? Yeah. So you you can kind of gauge that. Yeah. I mean, it seems to so me I, that that would be a really good thing to look for um, as you're searching for a coach for your child and. I think, you know, after hearing your explanation of what it means to be athlete-centered, I, I can't imagine there are many parents out there that wouldn't choose that type of coach for their child. Absolutely. You know, being athlete-centered, like let's take, take a, t- a team sport, right? Being athlete-centered doesn't mean that kid gets what they want. It means, it means that you teach them the life skills that will, that will teach them the teamwork to be able to be a cohesive part of that team which is athlete-centered. It might not be comfortable, might not be happy, but, um, you know, it's, it's for the betterment of that person. And actually, this is, um, this is a book that's actually in the editing stages right now. So it's called, it's called Athlete-Centered Coaching right now, but I might change it to The Art of Coaching High School Tennis. I mean, I'd be, uh, the Art of Athlete-Centered Coaching. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's the longest book I've ever written. So... Very cool. Well, we are coming to the end of our hour together, Bill, so I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to um, say how people can get in touch with you, give out your websites, and um, and all of that before we go off the air. Yeah, thank you. And to, later today we're going to be sending out our blog. So we have a, a weekly written blog, and also we do a lot of video stuff. So so the first thing is, if you're listening, I want you to send us an email at usatenniscoach at gmail.com and say join in the subject, and then we'll send you an invitation to join our email list. And then, and we try not to do a lot of selling. Um, you know, there are opportunities in there always, but we try to really give out a lot of content on a weekly basis that people hopefully finding really valuable. Um, and then, uh, but we're actually doing a little bit of selling in, in the next week or two. 
and then we'll kind of go back to really focusing on the content. Uh, and then we're on Instagram at USA Tennis Coach, and we're on Twitter at um, HS10S Coach. You know, that's the abbreviation for High School Tennis Coach. And um, you can find me on Facebook, so go ahead and send me a friend request. Um, and as long as you have more than one mutual friend with me, then I'll probably say yes. If you have more than two pictures and none of them are in a bikini, then um, I'll say yes to you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Bill, thanks so much, and thanks again to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com, for helping keep our show on the air. Bill, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, as always, and uh, the podcast will be online later today, and hopefully uh, those of you listening live will share that with your friends that didn't get a chance to tune in. Bill, you know I'll send you the link to the podcast, too, because I know you'll share it via all your social media outlets, so thank you for that in advance. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks for joining us on Parenting Aces. Bye, everybody.